Good morning, church. Good morning. Uh, I just like to say, just right at the start, that this is one of the the finest, the most intelligent, the most creative, the best-looking group of people that I've spoken to yet this morning. <laughs> it's good to be with you. My wife uh, said something before I left today. She said, "You look more relaxed than you usually are today when you have to preach." And I said, "Well." That's because Friday's paper said 43 million travelers will be on the highway. <laughs> and 2.2 million will be on the Pennsylvania Turnpike over the weekend, so it's a great time for a staycation. You know, that's when you stay home and, and vacate. So I was thinking, wow, this could be tough. I might not have anybody to preach to. But look at this wonderful group. You just do my heart good. Thank you for coming out. I probably had nothing to do with it, but I'll take a little credit there. Okay. So uh, I just said to my wife, you know, uh, let me think. Chris said last time that I have 150 years experience. That was not really correct, okay? And, uh, you know, but he's getting close because I just said to my wife the other day, I said, do you realize, Kim, that we have been married <coughs> for more than a half a century? And she said, don't say century. Don't say century. Just say 54 years, you know, that's good enough. So, uh, and she won't play tennis with me. I just thought I'd mention that to you. I play tennis three or four times a week, but she will not uh, play tennis with me. She does something else with me, which helps keeps us in shape. So we'll just throw a picture up there of what else she does. Oh, my goodness. I, I have to tell you this. Just before, when, after she said you feel more relaxed today, than you normally do when you preach. She said, you're not putting any pictures of me up there, are you? <laughs> now, you know I can't lie because I'm coming to preach. So I said something like, well, why would I do that? So we ride bike, and that helps keeps us in shape, and, and, uh, and that's great. Now, Chris often Googles something. You know what he does with uh, the top ten things of this or the top ten things I Googled on that? <clears throat> I didn't have a lot of luck with that, so... So I thought I'd just rather throw out, just early on here, a little humor. Here's one for the men. The wife says, my husband yells comments like, how long till you're ready? Throw out a date. You get it? Do you? All right, slow. Here's another one. Why did God make man before he made women? Answer, because he didn't want any advice on how to do it. Here's another one. No woman ever shot her husband while he was doing the dishes. Here's one I like. My wife thinks I'm nosy. At least that's what I read in her diary. And it was Linda Johnson who said, uh, I've learned that only two things are necessary to keep one's wife happy. First, let her think she's having her way. And second, let her have it. And Gilchrist wrote, when I married Mr. Wright, I didn't know that his first name was always. And how many of you have Alexa? Okay, I won mine, so I have one. And, uh, you know, if you don't want Alexa listening in on your conversations, they're making a male version. It doesn't listen, it doesn't listen to anything. All right. Well... I want to talk about 
Christian marriage today. Oh, take, oh, she's up there, but she's not up there. That's good. She wouldn't want her picture up that long, I tell you. Uh, what makes a marriage Christian? And I know that this is a sensitive topic, but I was going to do something else, and I really felt like I'm supposed to do this today. I don't know why, but I'm trying to listen to the Lord. And when I, when I was pastoring in Vancouver, British Columbia, Ron and Lisa came up to me. Ron was an airline pilot. Lisa was an accountant. He was an airline pilot for Canadian Airlines. And they came up and they said, Pastor, Lisa and I have talked, and we've decided that we would like to have a Christian marriage. Could we do that? And I said, well, number one, are you willing to endure five or six counseling sessions with me? Oh, yeah, we can do that. And then I said to this to him, I said, that's great that you want to have a Christian marriage, but what is it that makes it Christian? And they looked at me like, that's a rather obvious question, Pastor Ralph. We all know that. And I'm thinking they probably were thinking, because they never answered the question, I have to be married in a church with an ordained pastor, Protestant. That's probably what they were thinking. So we had a long time to talk about what a Christian marriage is. I remember <clears throat> John MacArthur one time was uh, baptizing people in his church. And uh, he had a young man there by the name of Henry, and... Uh, Henry was a little bit challenged, and so he just wanted to make sure that Henry, who was mentally challenged, really understood what baptism was all about. So he said, Henry, who is Jesus Christ? And Henry got this funny look on his face, looked back at John MacArthur and said, you mean you don't even know that? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. Not everybody understands what a Christian marriage is and in pre the prevailing attitudes about marriage today in the church, those attitudes in society affect us if we don't maintain a biblical perspective. Even in Christian circles, we have come to accept the attitudes of our culture without ever examining them critically in the light of God's word. Lots of things are masquerading today as God's idea that are far from it. And uh, how do they manifest themselves? Well, I picked out of my file this week a little cartoon. How many of you, uh, no, you're not, you're not that old. How many of you remember Dennis the Menace cartoons? Oh, good, good, okay. I pulled this out of my file, and uh, Dennis is having cake and milk at the Wilsons. Mrs. Wilson is washing the dishes. Mr. Wilson is reading the paper. And Dennis wonders why... Mr. never goes to work, and so he asks. Mr. Wilson says, well, that's because I'm retired. Because I've worked many years. And now that I've worked many years, I've earned the right to loaf. So Dennis wonders why Mrs. Wilson doesn't retire also, because he's never seen her loaf. Mr. Wilson says, well, she can't retire because she's never worked. Mr. Wilson says, you know, she can't retire because she's never worked, but Dennis has seen Mrs. Wilson always cooking, washing, or sewing, and he just can't accept that answer. 
Well, that's different, Mr. Wilson explains. If she retired, who would do the housework? <laughs> and then it says, couldn't you help? And then Mr. Wilson kind of lost it. And he said, Dennis, are you trying to make trouble? Mrs. Wilson finally intervenes, telling her husband not to yell at Dennis. And she says, he's right and you know it. The next frame, we see Dennis walking up to his mother in the garden. And when she, uh, she asked what the Wilsons were arguing about, Dennis says, I don't know. I came home because I didn't want to get involved. I tell you that because there are a lot of Mr. Wilsons out there who think they have a biblical understanding of the wife's role, but do they really? There are also a lot of wives who have gone to an unbiblical extreme. But to experience a truly Christian marriage, we have to be committed to a thoroughly biblical model. Where do we find that? In the Bible, in the Word of God. And that's why I'm going to have Don Hines read that. If you would take your Bibles or your phones, whatever you have. Ephesians 5.21. We're going to start there. And he's going to read this text for me, which I really appreciate, Don. Thanks. So Ephesians 5.21, would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Yes, 21? Yeah, start with 21. I know 21 isn't part of the context, Don, but I'm going to hit it later. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Ephesians 5.21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Read the whole passage, the rest oh, of it. Keep why, going. That's what I wanted. Yeah. Uh, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the, the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Several of you wives, uh, if you could just help me a little bit after the service because I'm going to be in really deep doo-doo <laughs> for putting up that picture of my wife. Uh, my son is here who and, and his family, and, and he's going to be 46 this week, the um, 30th. And I remember in Hollywood, Florida, uh, this will give you an idea why I'm in trouble. Hollywood, Florida, I'm preaching, and it's Sunday night. You know, that's the time when we had Sunday night services, and I'm preaching, and my son is acting up. So she grabs him, throws him over her shoulder, and is taking him out of the service right in the middle of my sermon. 
In the meantime, he screams out to the congregation, help me somebody, she's going to kill me. <laughs> now her, I mean his kids may not know that, so I wanted, wanted to make sure they knew that. You know, there are three things in Ephesians that will help us to answer what is a Christian marriage or what makes a marriage Christian. Ephesians 5 is God's government for the marriage, but you can't jump into chapter 5 because chapter 5 assumes that there are some things that he has said earlier in the book that's critical to understanding how that should be applied. So the truths in Ephesians 5 assumes that you understand the assumptions of chapters 1 to 4 that precede it, and you're thinking, oh, no. His watch is broken. I'm going to miss lunch. He's going to preach through four chapters. No, no, I'm not going to do that. You'll be okay. The first assumption is critical, so I want you to look at Ephesians 1.7. We'll put this up on the screen. Ephesians 1.7. Here it is. Ephesians 1.7. It's coming. Maybe I didn't give a slide of that, did I? Okay? Okay. Ephesians 1.7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. That's Ephesians 1.7. There's a key phrase throughout the entire book of Ephesians, and the phrase is in Christ. God sees us in Christ when we receive him. He comes to live in us. As a matter of fact, that's mentioned more than 180 times in the New Testament, that phrase. So put up the Spurgeon uh, visual, if you would. Do we have a Spurgeon vid video? There it is. Look at that. It says, you stand before God as if you were Christ. Because Christ stood before God as if he were you. Now you look at that and you think, well, that sounds a little blasphemous, but you have to understand that if you have trusted Christ, when you stand before God, he's going to see you clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You are in Christ 180 times, the New Testament that's mentioned. Christ, through his death and resurrection, bore your sins, took your sins, and the theological positional truth of that is that you're now standing in his righteousness. Think about that. What a privilege. So by the time you get to chapter 5, it assumes that you've been through chapter 1 and you have heard the gospel, you have trusted Christ, and you've been converted through hearing the gospel. Now, our spiritual problem is really bound up in that little word, sin. We've all sinned. That's our spiritual problem. We've broken God's laws. We've gone our own way. We end up with a lot of heartache and conflict. And so here's what I discovered. When I was in Hollywood, I just mentioned the Hollywood church, I was counseling 25 hours a week. That, that was the average counseling. A lot, some of it was premarital, but most of it was marital counseling, which seemed like a lot. What I've discovered is that, this, that marriage problems are, uh, how can I say this? Marriage problems are really spiritual problems. A and the way that happens is the man says, I'm going to live my life my way in the way I want to live it. And the wife says, oh, yeah? 
we're going to live it my way. We're going to do things my way. Now he says, we're going to do things my way. And that sweet relationship turns sour. I like the statement by Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline when he wrote, and he's talking about the freedom that comes from submission to Jesus Christ. He says, it is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always needing to get our own way. I mean, that's the problem we have connected with our sin. And when we fully submit, that perspective should change because how much anger do we carry when we didn't get our own way? How often do we revel in self-pity for the same reason? How often do we harbor evil thoughts and resentment and unforgiveness in our hearts because we didn't get our own way? Think of the havoc that puts on a marriage, but the root of that is sin. I remember hearing about uh, a couple guys in college thought we, they'd play a little trick on their college roommate. There were three of them in this particular room. <coughs> and, and so they decided that the one that was still sleeping, we, we, we'd play a trick on him. So they took some uh, Limburger cheese and they rubbed it under his nose. A little bit later he woke up and he said, oh my, the bedroom stinks. He went into the kitchen and he said, uh, the kitchen stinks too. And then he went into the living room and he said, and the living room stinks. And he went outdoors and he said, oh, no, the whole world stinks. But see, the problem isn't the bedroom. Pro problem isn't the kitchen. Problem isn't the living room. Problem isn't the whole outdoors. It's you. It's your sin. You look in the mirror and you will see it. Wow. And I want to tell you, it is the gospel of Christ that redeems us from sin and self. Christ on that cross was the payment for our sins. And with that payment price, he bought us back from the slavery to sin. That's what redemption is all about. Now let me ask you this question. Without that, how would you ever have a Christian marriage? Isn't that the gate way to a Christian marriage? You say, okay, uh, I like that. I'd like to get in on that. How do I get in on that? By simple faith, you trust Christ as your Savior, and the minute you do that, you are forgiven of your sins. Ephesians 1.7 tells us. But we're talking about what makes a Christian marriage. A Christian marriage assumes that you have both been converted through hearing the gospel. Have you been? Have you trusted Christ? It's possible that somebody here that you've never, you've never done that. So I'm going to ask the Congo, uh, by the way, I... I, got, I had a youth pastor that never referred to the congregation. He always called them the Congo, so I, I, I got into that habit. I'm going to ask the Congo to do something, and that is to pray with me in unison. You say, now, wait a minute. I've already prayed that prayer. I've trusted Christ. I know I'm going to heaven. I'm okay. But listen, maybe there's somebody here. I don't think God will be offended, number one, if he hears you say that again. But maybe there's someone here today that needs to do that, and you can help them. By, by help them affirm it and verbalize it as we say out loud in unison. So I'd like you to just pray, phrase by phrase after me. Here we go. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus Christ, your son, died on a cross and rose again from the dead. 
He paid the penalty for my sin. He now sees me in Christ. By grace through faith, I want to receive him right now as my Savior. Amen. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God not of works, lest any man should boast. The Bible says if you pray that prayer, your sins will be forgiven. God will give you new life. God will give you heaven as a free gift. Wow. You want to make your marriage a truly Christian one? This is a starting gate for that to happen. And chapter 5 assumes that you've been there. Right? You see, if you want to get up to the fifth floor of a building, you don't just jump up to the fifth floor. Got to go through floor one, floor two, floor three, floor four, till you get to the fifth floor. And when you come to Ephesians 5, if you don't understand this commitment or have made this basic commitment, then you're going to come up short. Your marriage is not going to be Christian. There's another assumption, and a very important one, and that's Ephesians 5 also assumes that you are both committed to spiritual growth. I won't take a lot of time on this, but if you look at uh, 4.22 to 24, I don't remember whether I gave that one to the, the board people or not. Chapter 4.22 and 24. So I'm going to read it. Listen to it. All right. Uh, he says, Put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the idea. Put off, put on. Put off, put on. This is spiritual growth. Now, if I were preaching on that, there'd be more about that that I would deal with. But here in Ephesians 4, this is an assumption that is made when you get to Ephesians 5. Put off, put on. Put off, and put on. That means that there are some things that you're going to have to stop doing. And there are some things you're going to have to start doing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, this is spiritual growth. So let me just illustrate that maybe. Uh, I call Chris the master of metaphor. So any time I do something like this, it's a, it's a, it's a test. Okay, so I, I, got, the, I got these clothes on, <laughs> and we're to put off and put on, okay? I want to grow spiritually. So the Bible says that I'm supposed to put off. I'm going to mess up my hair. And it says also that I am to put on. Put off something, put on something. We got any Penn State fans here? Good, 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 good. Okay, good, good. All right. Now, this is spiritual growth. We don't have time to s spend on that much, but I, I just want us to put up on the screen. Put off lying. There it is. Let's look at this for a minute. Put off lying, start truthing. Verse 25. Isn't that good? Put away anger, 
Put on restraint, verse 26. Stop stealing, start working, verse 28. By the way, somebody said, uh, when is a thief not a thief? And the person said, but when he stops stealing. No, a thief that stops stealing is a thief that's unemployed. When is a thief not a thief? When he gets a job, earns money, and gives some of it away. Okay? That's the difference. Stop tearing down, start building up. So here are some things you need to stop doing and start doing, and as you do them in the power of God's Spirit with the enabling of God, this is spiritual growth you put off and you put on. By the way, don't just put off and not put anything on. There was a sermon one time by Thomas Chalmers, which Chalmers, yes, back in the 1800s, called the expulsive power of a new affection. And when you get rid of something, you need to place it something with something positive. So let, new, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. That's negative. Put that off. Let what comes out of your mouth edify or build up the other person. Spiritual growth is doing that, building others up. And if both partners could be involved in spiritual growth, that would solve a lot of marital problems. That would have cut my counseling load maybe in half pretty quickly. Now with those two assumptions out of the way, let's go to Ephesians 5, Okay. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5. By the way, <coughs> just, just to mention this, the uh, Genesians, Genesons, I guess it is, are teaching a course on marriage by Tim and Kathy Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. Sundays at 6 p.m., starting the last week of June. You should get in on that and grow in your knowledge of the meaning of marriage. That would be great. So if we could just... Anyway, let me just take a pause here. Can you, can you see what I'm saying? If we could just get people to realize, you've got to be converted to Christ through hearing the gospel. You have to be committed to spiritual growth. You want a really Christian marriage? These are basic principles before he ever talks about what he talks about in chapter 5. And now we're going to look at chapter 5, and there are no surprises. This chapter says husbands are to love their wives and wives are to submit to their husband. Okay, now it's time for me to get into trouble. So let me say a couple of things about that. First of all, that's not my idea. I didn't come up with that. I never thought of that. And the first thing that you need is that you have to be convinced that that's God's idea. Okay? Very, very important. Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So you have to be convinced that this is God's government for the home and the marriage. And what did God tell us is his constitution for the marriage in this passage. Verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife. A couple things about that because that little statement just gets taken wrongly, I think, in many ways. That has nothing to do at all with a man being a dictator in the home or having all authority in the home. Over in 1 Timothy 3, 4, you have a description of an elder there. And it says he is to be one who rules well his own household. Huge difference. A dictator's final authority is his own will, but a president operates under a constitution. And so there is what we call constituted authority. The, now hear me, this is crucial. The husband does have authority, but it's constituted, and the constitution is derived from the Bible. So 
but let me just mention uh, some of the functions that we can pick out. Leading, guiding, feeding, guarding, protecting the family. And it says that you husbands ought to love your wives as your own body. It says you are called husband to nourish and to cherish your wife as Christ does the church. Gentlemen, that is such a high call. And in many ways, the command to the husband seems much more difficult than the command to the wife. God is calling us husbands to do more than utter a few I love you's or to give a few boxes of candy or a bouquet of flowers on February 14th or some other time of the year. He is calling us to give our very lives for our wives. You got that little list up there that you could put up on the screen? Lead. There it is. Feed. Husbands. Guard. Protect. Guide. Nourish, cherish, sacrificially give yourself to meet your wife's spiritual needs. Wow. That is a tremendous challenge that has to be taken seriously by every husband who wants a Christian marriage and wants to obey the word of God. Now on to trouble. What's the word of the wives? Well, we probably have to wrap it up by now. Uh, it says that the Christian wives are to be subject to your own husbands, Ephesians 5.22. Now, women tend to bristle at this, but let me share a few thoughts. Be subject carries the idea of a willing submission of oneself. True biblical submission is not a forced thing. You see, God doesn't force us to submit to him, and, and we can't force anyone to submit to us. True submission has to come from the one doing the submitting. Husbands, I guess I should say this, you will never make your wife submit. The harder you try to do that, it will produce the opposite result. Someone wrote, if, if you try to crack the whip, you may end up with a bucking bronco. And the radio preacher said this, Husbands, God gave your wife, you your wives to complete you, not to finish you off. And then he said, you may begin like Rambo, only to find yourself singing like Tiny Tim. Thank of you, both of you, that got that. You see, if your wife doesn't choose to submit, you will never force her to. And it is important to say to the wives that this message is not from your husbands, it's from the Lord. You're called to submit to your husbands as to the Lord. You're not to submit because the husband demands it, but because the Lord has ordained it and because this is God's plan for the marriage. So if you rebel, you are rebelling not against your husband, but against the Lord. And there's something else I need to say, I think, on this because <clears throat> a lot of people take that concept of the woman being the weaker vessel. What is that, physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all that? That's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So here's what else I need to say. Submission does not mean inferiority. Submission does not mean inferiority. 
God's plan has nothing to do with inferiority. It simply is the God-ordained order of things. And you must see the concepts of equality and the role to be complementary, not contradictory. It is true that the husband and wife are equal in Christ. Galatians says there's neither male or female. You came to Christ the same way. You got the same salvation. You all stand complete in Christ. But God has a role for each, that's R-O-L-E, for each of us. There's an order to the way society should function. Therefore, as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands. So the wife who places herself willingly under the headship of the husband by serving in that family and using her gifts might ask this question. All right, but who is the ultimate authority in my home? Well, the husband has authority, but so do you. You say, wait, where do you get that in the Bible? Well, 1 Timothy 5.14 says of the wife that she is to guide the house. She has ruling responsibility. She has managerial authority because of administrative gifts the husband might not even have. They should be used. And please understand this, that God is the ultimate authority that I am related to him through Jesus Christ, that I am committed to him in spiritual growth, and that I am convinced that what we need in our home is his government for my marriage, that my wife is also converted, she's also committed, and she's also convinced. And that's when you're moving toward a real Christian marriage that fleshes out the Ephesians 5 principles. The ideal Christian marriage is not a democracy where you have the voice of the majority. It is not a dictatorship where you have the will of one imposed on the other. It is a theocracy where God rules in each individual heart and throughout the home. Does that make sense? He rules in my heart by conversion and in my being committed to him for spiritual growth, and he determines what goes on in this house, and we'll seek his mind. And so a Christian marriage is ultimately where God rules in this place called home and in our relationships, and he alone is the ultimate authority. Amen. Thank you, both of you. No, you did good. You did good on that. Uh, Charles Woodbridge gave this quote. In my home, my wife is a quarterback, and I'm the coach. God owns the team. If you rebel against that, send your email to Chris. I want to tell you, apart from that, the family circle can very easily become the family circus and end in chaos. And these are all the ideas that I tried to share with, uh, with Lisa and Ron when they came to me and wanted a Christian marriage. Now, there are two final thoughts, and I'm done. If you're having trouble with submission, with this whole submission idea, do not forget verse 21 that Don read for us. Now, I know that that's a little out of the context, but that's relating to how the entire church is to work and, and relate to each other. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of Christ. It's about mutual submission at Ephesus among the believers, mutual submission in the church among its members and adherents. Can there ever be, I mean, is it possible that there could be mutual submission? among the husband and wife? 
And you're thinking, have you ever submitted to your wife? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I had to candidate one time in Chicago. <clears throat> and uh, I'm sure she remembers this and my kids remember this. And I got the call to that church, and I thought it was a great opportunity. I was ready to go. My wife said, no way. So I said, well, let's check the kids out. Kids said, no way. We're not going to Chicago. Then I got a second trip to that church. They called me back again, wanted me to reconsider. And then I got a third call, and I wanted to go. And my wife and kids said, no way. So I turned them down. Now, I could have said to my wife and my kids, look, I'm the head of this house, and I want to go. I think this would be a great opportunity. And so I said to the Lord, I know I'm the head, but if you want me here, you're going to have to convince my family that this is a good move. He didn't, and I didn't go. I didn't expect my family to follow me there blindly like I'm the only one that hears from God. And had I gone, my life and my ministry would have taken an entirely different trajectory. So I just want to tell you, mutual submission in the marriage relationship as well. I don't always have to get my own way. I just want to find God's way and follow it and, and take my family there. One more thing. I just want to end with the highest word concerning marriage. That's in verse 33. Would you look at verse 33 in your Bibles? Because at the end of this entire discussion, Paul makes this comment. He says in verse 33, This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. It speaks of a mystery that is the relationship between Christ and his church. This is your marriage. And he's speaking of this great mystery when he wraps it up. And that purpose goes far beyond any sociological, economic, materialistic, and spiritual aspects of marriage. We may need marriage for those reasons and call it a civil contract or call it an institution, but only Jesus Christ gives the spiritual emphasis that brings eternal significance to the union between a man and a woman. And it is this spiritual mystery, this eternal and spiritual mystery about Christ and the church, which redirects our attention from a social contract to a divine union. So would you take this thought with you? Marriage is a picture of the relationship of the church to Christ. And that's why it's so important that the, the wife heed the Lord's call to willingly submit to the leadership of the husband. We should seek to be a testimony of God's divine order as well as a picture of the relationship of Christ to his church. Men, the pattern of our love for our wives as husbands is to be like the pattern of Christ's love for the church. Christ's work in the past was to give himself literally for the sake of the church. He's at work presently in the church to sanctify it. And he's doing all of this so that in the future he may present to himself the church in all her glory, holy and blameless. And we must give ourselves for our wives that their true needs may be met. To do so, gentlemen, means that we will seek to do what is best for the object love. That's the meaning of agape, our wives, that they may be blessed and encouraged, cared for and nourished. 
So when the husband loves his wife like this, he's going to find a wife that's willing to submit. But submission will not be the issue. Her welfare will be the issue. Marriage is like the relationship between Christ and the church. Can you put up the umbrella? There should be an umbrella. There it is. Okay, I don't like anything hierarchical. Makes me uneasy. But I do want to show you this just to kind of wrap it up. Christ is the head of the church. Christ has said the man, the, man, the husband, is the head of the relationship there and his job to protect the family, lead the family, provide for the family. The wife has managerial and administrative responsibilities. She's to comfort, teach, and nurture. Children are to love their parents and obey their parents. So let me tell you something. You will never find Christ sitting on a couch barking out orders to his bride. So we must be husbands who reflect his character. And it's also in the context of mutual submission in verse 21 that both the husband and wife operate. That's a basic requirement for all of us, male or female. So my big idea, and then we'll say, a truly Christian marriage, here it is, begins with number one, knowing Christ, number two, growing in Christ, and number three, embracing his plan for my marriage from Ephesians 5, which is a reflection of Christ's love for his church. Isn't that beautiful? Go practice that. Let's pray. Father, this can be a hard and difficult topic, but it really doesn't have to be. We often hear it, and we want to resist these truths. We want to push back. But I'm so thankful, Heavenly Father, that you have a plan. We can't improve upon it. We can't change it if we want your blessing in our home. So may we embrace these truths of marriage that reflects the mystery between Christ and the church. Teach us, Father, submission doesn't have to be painful, but can yield in our home great blessing as, as each person in the family follows your orders and takes responsibility. We surrender to your plan and your provision, believing that in our lives and in our homes, it's going to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. For Christ's sake, amen. I'd like to end the service this way. We're going to sing our closing song together, and then I'm just going to come back and do nothing but dismiss you with a benediction, and then you can exit. Uh, but what, what we'd like to do is, you know, last week we prayed people and, and that we were so excited to be able to do that so Don and and his wife will be over here Kim and I will be over here and Don and Amy will be over here Kim and I will be over she wasn't with you so I forgot momentarily Kim and I will be over here when we pronounce a benediction and people leave if some of you would like to come forward and just have us pray for you we'd love to do that I mean, it could be a marriage issue, but it could be a baggage issue. It could be a healing issue physically. Maybe you have a something you're carrying. We'd be happy to pray for you, any spiritual issue, any any issue you might have. Okay? Let's sing. <laughs>